0: hey hi hello welcome to episode 41 of trail society brought to you by our friends over at free trail i'm karen malcolm i'm keely Huntinger. and i'm hillary allen and we are here for another week we've made it we're doing it once again um hilly you guys just survived another cold snap in boulder how was it
1: oh my gosh it was uh actually i think i was like maybe too prepared the first day. Like, I think I dressed (laughs) for like negative temps. It was like five degrees. And I was like, I'm wearing two pairs of pants. I'm wearing like a puffy jacket. And I was like, you took the Keely approach. You overdressed. Yeah. I was way too hot. And I had like, yeah, I was just way too hot, but, um, Hey, it was fun. Um, but then it got like really cold, like negative eight. And so then I adjusted the run plan that day. But, uh, Yeah, it was fine because literally by the end of the week, I was running in shorts. I have the Colorado. I have no idea what's going on, but those
0: temperature swings are (laughs) wild. Um, Keely and I are heading very, very soon to warmer temps. I head to California and then Arizona in just a couple days, um, going to Sedona for a team camp ahead of the Black Canyon, 100 K, um, where free trail is actually going to be one of the sponsors of the live coverage. I'll be doing commentary in studio and in the field alongside Dylan Bowman and Leah Yingling and Finn and Brett. It's going to be really, really awesome. Um, but additionally, we're going to have two free trail experts racing, both our very own Keely Henninger and Hannah Allgood will be throwing down in the women's hundred K, but Keely, what I really wanted to talk about was your Instagram post from this past week about stress and late cycles. And I thought it was just really, really brilliant to to highlight it. And I'm wondering if you can just tell the audience who maybe isn't either, they're either not on Instagram or they didn't see your post about kind of what what that was all about.
2: I found myself last fall or the end of last fall, like balancing way too much and noticed that my cycle was late a couple of times in a row. And at the time I was like, okay, well, I know I'm stressed right now. It's going to go away. Like it's going to be back to normal. And then, you know, fast forward two more months coming into this month, it wasn't more normal. It got a little later. And then this last cycle, which kind of prompted the post was like extremely late and it so just a did longer.
0: It. So a longer,
2: longer cycle Yeah, longer, it's important mm-hmm. to highlight there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> longer and longer and longer. So getting further and further apart, which can be a telltale sign of it, like eventually going away, like your body's trying to tell you like, Hey, you're, it's a little stressed right now. Um, and it all kind of made sense. Like I had definitely been feeling tired. Um, but it kind of all came to a head where this one was really, really late. I also felt just like garbage for like maybe two to two and a half weeks straight. And finally kind of had to take a look back at my training in the past couple of months and be like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely right on the cusp of being way overcooked and Mm -hmm. I need to take a step back. And so instead of doing like a four week, really big build, I took like a full week down in the middle of the normal build with Tyler, a couple of extra days off completely um, and kind of let myself reset a bit um, just so that I was able to not overcook myself before black Canyon and hopefully go into black Canyon feeling really well now. Cause now I'm at my taper and I didn't push through feeling just like crap for another 10 day period that probably wouldn't have mattered at the end of the day anyways. Um, and actually feel a lot more like myself uh, now totally. just from that little reset, which is pretty sweet. You know, I'm very well versed in these kind of things. I see a lot in athletes I work with. I see it a lot in the community. I've seen it in myself before. You'd think you'd catch it a lot earlier. Um, but turns out that I'm not immune to this. I feel like it took me longer than I would have liked it to see.
0: But but it's a trend, right? You were tracking trend. a trend and it's totally. like... I know that for me after like a really big race, a really hard effort on my body, like oftentimes that next cycle is a little bit longer. Like say my normal cycle is like 26 to 28 days. Mm -hmm. My next cycle oftentimes might be as long as like 35 days Mm -hmm. and then it'll like come back down. Mm -hmm. But you were seeing, right? It's like the one-off is probably okay Mm -hmm. or it's your body Mm -hmm. adapting to a big stress, but that two, three, four months, like the red flags caught up with you, which is good. It's Mm -hmm. good that the red flag was there. Totally. Yeah.
2: Oh my gosh. I feel so grateful that I have that as a red flag. So yeah, I'm glad that I found it and I'm glad I have a coach that I can tell and like he's totally adaptable to it and was like, cool, we're gonna just take this week down and then we'll we'll do another week and kind of play it year by ear instead of even being like, you must do this week. It's like cool, we're gonna plan to have this next week be big. But if not, that's okay too.
0: Yeah, and we've met some menstruation news that we'll touch on here that a lot of you actually sent in via DMs to us. So we want to talk about that in a second. But first we're gonna give a shout out to a sponsor who really makes this all happen for us. That's athletic greens, you know, hopefully Keely and her funk was like, okay, gotta make sure I'm taking my athletic greens, get that probiotic prebiotic all your daily, um, you know, kind of micronutrients that you, that you need to kind of supplement, um, in and around big training days. And if you would like to try athletic greens, you can go over to the website, athleticgreenscom slash drill society. And there with your first purchase, you can get a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs. Again, you go over to athleticgreens.com slash trail society and doing so helps to support the podcast and really every subsequent purchase helps to support the podcast there. But on that first purchase, you get that extra vitamin D and, uh, some travel packs, which I personally love and will be bringing with me to team camp here in just a week or two. So
2: yeah. And I feel like, I don't know if you guys have like a go-to way to drink it, but I've recently gone into smoothies and just have them in my car for after my run mm-hmm. and if Can't you the mix, smoothie queen too you mix <laughs> the athletic greens with like vanilla-ish protein powder and then like blueberries and ginger like the Ooh. tanginess of everything Ooh. really good just
0: Ooh.
2: plug in my, my latest smoothie kick okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is me mm-hmm. for tomorrow this is yeah good. I and like by this.
2: ginger I mean like literally take a little piece of the root of ginger and throw it in the bucket mm.
0: and like okay. it, it's good I'm in. I buy. I buy it. <laughs> I'm in. Sold. Okay. We're talking some news and something that you sent. At least I got a bunch of this in my DMs. Um, I'm sure you guys did as well. And this this has to do with um, stuff going on in Florida right now. But I imagine it's helping is happening elsewhere. And that is um, a lot of stuff was shared about the Florida High School Sports Athletic Association, um, which is a big long acronym. But essentially, the the takeaway or the, the 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 byline you're seeing is Florida wants to force athletes to share their menstrual history. And many of you in a doctor's office, if you um, have a uterus have probably been asked, when's your last period, um, you, you know, is your period regular? That's been a very common question in healthcare settings for a very long time. And And honestly, until maybe 18 months ago, I probably wouldn't have even second-guessed telling my medical provider that information. So it's something that you know has changed with um, Roe v. Wade and some uh, legislation going on in many states in the U.S. in particular. But essentially, kind of interesting things going on here is that, as we just mentioned, we're huge proponents of understanding your menstrual, menstrual cycle and being aware of amenorrhea and your cycle changing. And this is especially true for young athletes, including coaches of young athletes and parents of young athletes. But at a time when abortion access and transgender rights are under attack, and many Americans, ourselves included, fear that their health information could be used against them, this becomes a much trickier situation. You know, Keely, you mentioned that this is a conversation you can have with your coach. You can have with Tyler. You live in Oregon. You know, like you're not worried about some of these health repercussions. Florida is a state with a 15-week abortion ban surrounded by other states with near total abortion bans, which leaves individuals who are able to get pregnant and who, you know, young athletes, high school athletes who already have less predictable and less regular cycles, um, puts them in a really tenuous position and puts their parents in a tenuous position as far as like, you know, what, who, who needs this information, who should have this information. Um, and really, I think it's going to be case by case, state by state, individual by individual, but I would definitely be creating a lot of pause if I lived in a state where I didn't have access to abortion care, et cetera, was sharing that information willy-nilly, right? Like mm-hmm. I live in Washington state. I'm very fortunate, you know, that we do have the protections here for reproductive rights that mm-hmm. are not, is not everywhere.
1: Yeah. Right. I mean, I think my, my first thought goes to, it's like, it's like you said, it's a complicated situation. Um, I don't like the word forced in any sense of You're the right. word of like kind of Required forcing that information. to do a thing. Right. Especially when it comes to um like personal health information. However, I do see there is there is some sort of positive there. If you're trying to like we had just, you know, we've talked about this on like just with, with Keely mentioning like her cycle shifting, right? we we trust our coaches to talk to them about that. I think forcing someone to share this information could actually violate that trust relationship, which I think is really mm-hmm. important for. To have, for young girls, especially to have that, especially if it is a male coach. Now, I mean, I see it's like, okay, if we're trying to make this change, like, let's like force this and make it a requirement. Right. But that, I think that pushback, I see the good that it gets trying to ensue by like, okay, let's, let's have this open conversation, but mm-hmm. forcing something I think is maybe the wrong but, way to go. About yeah. But it. in a state too, mm-hmm.
0: where you've got such stringent legislature around reproductive rights and around transgender rights, I feel like this information becomes even more sensitive. Like Mm -hmm. I'm sure I, I, I don't know everything behind it as far as like, what are they trying to do? Right. Is this trying Mm -hmm. to police the bodies of individuals who can become pregnant or is this, you know, trying to say, we believe in, you know, healthy athletes and we want, Mm -hmm. you know, we want to know that they are menstruating regularly because that is an indication of health, but that like, I'd like to believe that. I would like to believe
1: that, but I mean, it's like, it's, it's tricky. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, reading most of the context, I'd say you can infer that that is their general Mm -hmm. consensus is that they want to gather this information to be able to better inform the trajectories of their athletes. But my first question to that is, well, what are they actually going to do with that data? Are they actually well-versed enough And are they well-versed enough in female physiology to know what to do with menstrual cycle data, right? Because in my, like when my favorite thing at, when I've worked in corporate science was that people love to get the cart before the horse, they're like, oh, we're going to get all this data, but we actually have no clue what to do with it. And so, you know, I would love to see their plan with this data to be like, oh, we want to gather menstrual cycle data going back X months, because we know that looking for inconsistencies in menstrual cycle or lack of menstrual cycle, or, you know, slowly lengthening menstrual cycle might lead towards amenorrhea. And we want to be able to detect that in our female athletes. Like if they had a plan for what to do with this information, I'd feel a little bit more confident in it. And then my second thing would be to ask if, if they've already integrated their, you know, their collegiate system with medical providers, then is this going to be HIPAA protected? Because if this is going to be HIPAA protected by their interaction with a physician, then in my mind, it would be a little safer than saying the
0: college's have control, but this isn't even mm-hmm. college. This is predominantly like this is being this instituted at a high school level, which mm-hmm. is even mm-hmm. minors, which is like mm-hmm. got even, it like, even like more tenuous versus yeah. a collegiate system, and it's like you know. But any- I mean. It does have to
1: start somewhere though. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I do. Education has to start somewhere, but. Yeah, and this could be a step to it. I mean, I do see this as like the, the details that Keely was saying, like I think that's really important. But I mean, having worked and like, you know, all of us are very familiar with scientific research. Sometimes you actually do need like, all of the data before you can draw conclusions and it's a way of actually like I went to graduate school literally just last year I published a paper and I haven't been in graduate school for like (laughs) however many years and like I was gathering all these this the the data like doing the experiments but we didn't know what to do with it yet until we had more information Mm -hmm. and so that is also how science works Mm -hmm. um Oh, yeah. But there's a lot more involved when it involves, like, I mean, like you just mentioned, like minors and and yeah. things and like that. reproductive rights and right. gender, gender yeah. like affirming rights, mm-hmm. like all these things are yeah
0: are extra extra tenuous feelings. So it's interesting
2: say, to see where it where it will live the data.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And 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 yeah. who is protected in that? And it's like I want people to be able to trust their coaches. I want people to pr- be able to trust their parents. I want that trust to be you know so that you know that you can like confide in them. I know that. Mm-hmm a lot of people's college coaches, you know, there's some, there's some bad, there's good and bad people and good and bad coaches and good and bad parents everywhere. But, you know, like from personal experience with my team in college, like our coach was one of the people that we could go to if we needed help, you know, Mm -hmm. like they, they are your parent, uh, you know, abroad in a lot of way, right. They become your guardian. Mm -hmm. Um, even as you're no longer a minor in a lot of those settings, but
2: yeah, yeah, it's, I think also, sorry, one more thing. I think that like, (laughs) I think that in this context, they also don't really know like what is normal for a female when they're this young versus not normal yet. And so like to your point, I, I don't know if it's necessary to gather at this age or, or worst case, I would never want this to be something that inhibits an athlete because they're misinterpreting the data. Like, totally. Oh, this person's right? not menstruating. Therefore let's pull them. Well, maybe that person's never going to get their cycle and it just requires more information into why.
1: But also, I mean, I I hate to say this, but like, when are we going to start gathering this data then? I mean, I'm mm-hmm. someone who didn't go through, I didn't even get my first yeah. menstrual cycle until 16. Like some, mm-hmm. some, some women, you know, some girls and they start their period at 12 or like earlier. Yeah. And so it's like, well, if we're going to make a change, we've talked about this on the podcast before, mm-hmm. you know, if we're going to make a change from, you know, implement like education standpoint right like working with young female athletes t- getting them in sport keeping them in sport longer it starts young it doesn't just start at the collegiate level totally. it starts well before that and if we don't I mean women go through puberty you know earlier than guys and totally so but again when, I
0: think education and I think individualized personal track like just being aware and tracking your own cycle right is a lot right. different than this being forcefully gathered into totally. a system that we don't mm-hmm. understand in a state that has a near total abortion. Yeah, yeah, end. yeah.
1: Well, and regardless, put Florida out of it. I still think that like, and I know that's like currently what we're talking about, but like hypothetically, if this is another state, if it, like this could be good if you have that data protected somewhere. Yes, yes. It's a starting point with all of the studies that we actually would want to do on fe- like female athlete physiology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think it's still tricky with minors. Yes. But, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I mean, technically at that point, she is now a woman. I know technically she can't vote, but like, you know, if you're going, you can have a baby, but like, so then when do you consider her being a, like a minor or not? Yeah. I don't know. No.
0: Consent. It's <laughs> all consent. Yeah, totally, <laughs> you totally, about consent. Totally. Totally. No, to I
1: think, something? I think
2: like that we're all in favor of tracking menstrual cycle of young women and older women, I think that is extremely of anyone important, who can
0: menstruate. Right, okay? we, we keep of saying anybody, women, yeah, but sorry. it's non-binary individuals. Anyone yeah. who can menstruate, right? Like it, that is important. Is mm-hmm. we're all in favor of people having the knowledge, being able to track their cycle, having a better understanding of what that means broadly. And some of that's going to be in a research setting, but I don't think we should force everyone to be in a research setting. I encourage you to opt into a research setting because we all. The three of us are scientifically inclined, Mm -hmm. but I think, I think once again, as Hillary mentioned, it's that forced Mm -hmm. component of it. And that is, that is critical when it comes to consent. And that is force, force is never right. Consent can never be given with force involved. Mm -hmm. So,
1: right. So maybe like, like, and like you said, like education as to why they want that. And then like, you can opt in, but that would be great. I still think it'd be great data to have. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't think we're going to argue about it being good data. I think it's the, the way in which... But this yeah, is also like
1: science when you're talking about dealing with humans. You, This I mean, is why clinical trials fail all the time. If
2: Aura <laughs> Ring wants to do a study where we right. deliver rings to a bunch of adolescent females who are going to be going through sports...
1: Ooh, I have track th- them for I, years
2: and years and years. I would be down to lead that study. Just so I think, that out
1: there. I think ring. this Reach could be out. like, let's do this. Exactly. <laughs> this is a, this is a sponsorship pit, pitch or ring. Let's like put this in your ear. Let's go. <laughs>
0: we've been using, we've been using it. We're on board. <laughs> um, okay, We're going to move on to our next topic, which is equally heated and is um, inclined towards non-binary individuals and, and women. Um, but it's the UTMB Cares program, um, and it's been interesting because I'm on the I'm on the Trail Running Association, and Sophie Powers is working with our one of our pillars is uh, like equity and equality, but also diversity and inclusion, and that's kind of their their shared branch. and And Sophie is part of that group, and she's been a very loud proponent of the most recent UTMB, UTMB Cares initiative. And I would just love to start by reading Sophie's Instagram post, if that's okay, because I think it did a pretty good job of articulating. A lot of our initial sensations maybe about UTMB Cares, if you like read more than the like, what seemed like lip service from UTMB a little bit about what what UTMB Cares actually entails. And so Sophie, if you don't know, um, I feel like there are viral photos of her from a number of years ago, maybe two or three years ago of breastfeeding her. It might've been actually right before the pandemic. It might've been 2019 um, breastfeeding her child in the middle of UTMB, um, at Cormier, I think actually like sitting in the, like the bleachers and the audit, like in the gym, um, breastfeeding her child. And so she wrote on the launch of UTMB cares, caring means breaking down barriers for all women, not helping a few climb over today. UTMB launched their UTMB cares initiative. I've been waiting for this for months. They carried out a big survey of women and promised to help get more of us on the starting line. This is what they found. We don't have enough time to train. We struggle to juggle family life and our own goals. Who knew, laugh, like laugh crying emoji to follow that. So it's essentially our own fault that there's less than 10% of women on the start line, not theirs. And all we need is a little mentoring, right? Because the UTMB Cares Women's Initiative is about mentoring athletes to get them to the start line. There's nothing in there about the barriers they control, that they are free to take down for all women, not just a chosen few. So how about having inclusion imagery, women of all shapes and colors, equal race coverage of female athletes, no tolerance of aggressive behavior by male racers, finisher gillets that fit us, you know, more than like kind of gender, gendered garments. But then again, there's some issues there. Better, better toilet provision and period products. Oh, and even not making women pay twice if we've had a baby and yet another UTMB qualifying event for stones, question mark. What they do encourage are nonprofits to submit projects that, that, that support their aims right. Like, I think that she, she has a lot to say and I think she's a very powerful person and she is a person that's working alongside the PTRA. Um, again, that the trail running association and UTMB to try to kind of come to a better understanding of what the actual needs are of getting above that 10% women participant range that, you know, I think last year was like 9.2%. So, um, I thought it was very interesting. I think that a big organization like UTMB should have initiatives that are contributing to society in a positive way, but they seem to be missing the mark is, is how I generally feel about UTMB CARES. And I don't know what your guys' initial takes were, or if you have any other inside information as to, is it, is it more than lip service right now?
1: I'm really not sure. Cause there's just not that much information about it. Like, so to me, it kind of seems like it is, um, you uh, can like, you
0: can spend a thousand euro or pounds or whatever to get a charity bib, and that money will go to UTMB cares. But it's again, you're a big organization who is yeah. making plenty of money off of us, off of all racers. Um, right. And it's not there, there's there's not this kind of contr- like contribution from the organization itself, it feels like.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, to
2: be fair, Boston Athletic Association oh, just, who runs just, the Boston Marathon sort of just, some things, just allowed um people who are pregnant to defer their entry
0: to the next year. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> which honestly, like probably <laughs> isn't enough time for some
1: people, right? No, like a one year deferral. Well, yeah. No, like do the math on that. Yeah. Like, and then you have to have a qualifying race. Like, I'm sorry, but look mm-hmm. at Amanda Basham with what she's trying to do right now. Like she's trying to yeah. re-qualify for Western and like have she's literally going to New Zealand. She's running to where mm-hmm. after doing black, like, you know, y- y- like, yeah, well, and that's, because, <laughs> that's
0: because for sponsorship spots and there's a rollover situation there in which it's, um
1: no she has to do and, another qualifying yeah, she for, missed it from being pregnant
0: from yeah but if you are getting a sponsorship spot akin to getting into the lottery you have to have a qualifier in order to the, run the race and so that's their way but, of leveling I mean, it for everyone
1: i do i do agree with that but like think about that for someone even not getting a sponsorship spot like like if, even if you def- i'm saying if you deferred your 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 race in one year period that's not enough time i know but you but western state says
0: that you can defer indefinitely hmm yeah, which is different. Right. And so it's that yeah. runner's mm-hmm. choice. I understand mm-hmm. that being pregnant is, is like, the, I'm not saying that I'm not <laughs> yeah. saying the, about uh, the pregnancy part, but I'm saying it's, it's yeah. your choice to only to defer a year yeah. versus mm-hmm. having to get a qualifier. I've got other mm-hmm. friends on sponsor spots who they also had to figure out how to get a qualifier in. Cause mm-hmm. they were told they got a sponsorship spot, Right, like, right. And it's, they mm-hmm. weren't pregnant obviously, but <laughs> like they still are required. So it's kind of the, like, but you could, she could defer again. She could get that, she, that spot could roll to her next year. She doesn't have a spot yet. No. I think she's trying to golden ticket. She's yeah. trying
2: to
1: get a golden ticket. She's yeah. trying to get in, yeah. yeah. But there, have, yeah.
0: there has there has been like a, a specific pregnancy deferral sponsorship. Right, right. Yes, yes,
1: exactly. Well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That,
2: Whereas yeah. like, yeah, Bell. UTMB does not have that initiative. Boston <laughs> Marathon just implemented that initiative as of a week ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that... The UTMV CARES program reminds me of a really big corporation. If you read into the corporate or into the CARES program, it's just kind of a bunch of fluff, a lot of fluff words um, and big words kind of smattered in there. And it doesn't amount to much is, is my interpretation.
0: Yeah. To reduce their carbon (laughs) footprint, they're going to, you know, have, have a bus on course that they tried to initiate within a week of the race last year and didn't quite work out for them because they didn't have enough buses to get people on course, but they, they said that's going to reduce the carbon footprint, but yet they want us to travel all over the world to run races, to get stones, to apply to their lottery, which also doesn't reduce the carbon footprint. Because if you live in a lot of places, you, you can't, you can't get there easily unless you live in Western Europe like there aren't a lot of options, you know, if you live in, if you live in Cape town, if you're, if you live in South Africa, if you live in New Zealand or Australia, if you live in Asia, if you live in a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, the U S North America, Central America, South America, like it's really hard to get to that, like single qualifier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's. Yeah.
2: And, yeah. and for the women's issue, I guess is what they were saying to address their 9%, uh, start rate for those longer distance races they're going to allow mentorship a mentor program yeah
0: Yeah. in which in which the pros who they don't take care of are going to mentor women who don't have enough time to train into getting to the start line
2: right i know giving up what does that mentorship mean like giving up more these new are you giving these new women money to go race like are you providing so are child going care? To go race. I going to say, like, yeah, money for
1: child care. That'd be great. Yeah. Money to yeah.
2: raise, money for child care, money for coaching. Like, yeah. what is, how are we going to just make itself. them do more? It's just very <laughs> confusing. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: we're not we're not entirely impressed. Maybe you're not impressed either. Maybe you had no idea this was going on and now you're <laughs> as confused as we are. Um either way, these are things that that are being worked on, but I feel like with any big organization it's a little bit of David and Goliath, right? Like we are mm-hmm. we are more agile than the big corporation. And so we had to kind of push them to walk things back pretty mm-hmm. continuously. And this is another one of those things that By the time race day rolls around, there will probably be a better thing in place, but it's like, they keep just putting their foot in their mouth over and over again, because they don't ask for help. And they just like, they, they make up these things that are just kind of silly. So there's that. So yay. (laughs) Happy news. Um, so happy, happy, joy, joy, like all the fun things. Um, (laughs) Let's talk about the, um, technically Camille Heron's not the, not the author of this article, Mm. um, but it's an article that features her heavily and it's called skip the long run. It was put out in trail runner mag, um, who, and I, and I appreciate everything that trail runner mag is doing, but we had some kind of questions about this article in particular and some kind of like things that we think are, are, are good and things that we're like, kind of think are maybe misleading. So who would like to start on the Camille Heron, skip the long run article?
2: So the article is not written by Camille, but it is kind of in her voice as it discusses a lot of her training. Um, and it basically discusses her, her philosophy around long runs and how she has learned over time to eliminate quote-unquote long runs from her workout regimen. Um, and it talks through, you know, she used to run marathon distance often throughout the week for her marathon racing, and now she is closer to shorter long runs that are paired with a double later in the day um, and they're arguing that this kind of you know double training session instead of one ultra distance training session is more advantageous for bone health um, and more advantageous as a training philosophy than than running long runs um but the article fails to mention um like her weekly mileage in general and and like what she classifies as a long run um and and it fails to acknowledge that that those are still long runs um Like a a 20 20 mile long run is still a long run. Like, I don't know many ultra runners who train over 50 K often. And so to me, the article is a little bit, um, it's a little misleading as it it fails to discuss some of these nuances of the article that could lead some novice runners astray when interpreting it and being like, oh, well, this means I can just double and increase Mm -hmm. my mileage that way. And I'll be fine. And, And that's not necessarily what the article is, is meaning at all.
0: I could see, I could see people running like way more than they should or way less than they should and not like really getting to this happy medium that will probably work for many individuals. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And it did say like in there, like a case study of one, like using totally. Camille as like, mm-hmm. you know, her, like discussing her training and what she does. I did think that there's some interesting um, studies cited in the article, like some. some that, that, are, that, that
0: are real, right? Like, that there are is real, some, exactly. There's there some scientific backing in this for yeah. sure.
1: Like the whole idea about the the idea of a double, right? This isn't new in, in, mm-hmm. in training uh, for professional athletes at all. It's like you, your, your bone specifically, when we're talking about bone bone stress is also for tendons and ligaments too. But if you stress, yourself with like a, she's saying a 15 mile run or maybe up to a 22 or 20 mile run you have a period of rest for about four to six hours then your bones do actually have another like they can reset and have your bone cells can then readapt to a stressful like pounding environment like say a second run later in the evening um in this like double thing and your tendons and ligaments can respond similarly there's like you know they're cited in the articles this is whole this whole idea that's definitely not wrong but it also fails to mention like Camille's history as a runner, right? Like she's been doing this. She's been a runner since she's been, I don't even know, like very young. And yeah. um, I think that's also it. Like um, it fails to address like other w- why athletes might adopt this methodology. If they're injury prone, if they're, you know, time crunched or they, yeah, like a gate, they don't have a proper running gate or, you know, you need to incorporate other stresses. Like she's, I think the idea to like, think about bone stress and running in that, um, in that like mindset is great, Mm -hmm. but yeah, there's some other details that are that are missing, and that's like a, kind of a, a yeah, big like conversation. Like two, hour, like two
0: one-hour runs. So say, say like you know, this Camila runs 120 to 140 miles a week. She's running 20 miles a day most days broken up over two runs. Like it's not insignificant. That's much, Mm -hmm. that's much more than many people run. Um, she doesn't have any long, long runs that you Mm -hmm. may expect to take a little bit of that burden off of her every day, but you know, she's, she runs every single day. She hardly takes a rest day. She runs a lot. What I think that like, what this could be interpreted as is like, Oh, do I do a two hour run today? Or do I, do I do two, one hour runs today? And if you're someone coming back from injury, yeah, the two, one hour runs might be what, what you want. But if you, but for a lot of athletes, like it's hard to, to recognize that like a two hour stimulus is different than two, one hour stimulus Mm -hmm. or stimuli. Mm -hmm. And then it comes to like the time crunched parent or the time crunched Mm -hmm. runner in general. Like, I think that there are a lot of factors that were glossed over that don't kind of like always ring true. The science is interesting, but once again, Mm -hmm. it's like, you're right. It's, it is a case study of one. If you're going to run 120 miles a week, maybe this is the way to do it. But I think the reality is this is an article for the general population and Mm -hmm. most humans aren't running half that a week.
2: Exactly. That's kind of where my mind went was that there's, there's absolutely no proof that adding, adding in an additional hour post a 20 mile run is good. There's no advantage to that in most, in most runners lives. Like most studies that come out looking at the general population show high correlation between number of running sessions per week or volume of training runs and injury. And so like, we can't take these findings and then just like expect it to translate to the general population and be like, Oh yeah, just run more and you'll be fine. Like, no, that is not good. There's no studies out there that say this is good for you. Um, And so like, I know it says N of one, but I also know like the runner mind and how neurotic it is and how it'll latch on to things that are like giving it a reason to run more. And I just don't want people to read this and all of a sudden be like, oh, well, you know, I run 40 miles a week now, but if I just add an hour to all of my days and, you know, then I'll get a little more, like that's not going to necessarily be advantageous.
1: Or like my bones will adapt more, right? Like one stress Mm -hmm. rest Mm -hmm. than
0: another stress, but also- Maybe jump rope in the afternoon instead. Like, (laughs) Take some collagen and jump (laughs) rope. five minutes. Like that's probably better for most people. There we go. You know, I did,
2: I did want your guys' opinion on my one thought though. Um, like how do you guys think this might impact the fasting response? So, so like, you know, when you do run these really long runs, like three to five hours, obviously your body kind of goes into this starvation mode, which can impact cortisol levels later in the day. Like Mm -hmm. my first, my one thought about this, that could be a positive is like, potentially this allows you to mitigate that increase in stress hormone because you're not ever out there for that that long that you're actually getting into that state
1: well the cook, the easiest way to mitigate that is just eat when you run and eat afterwards so as long as you're totally, doing that but it should be fine let's be
2: honest but when <laughs> people are going out there for five hours even if you're eating relatively well you're going to be in a much bigger hole than if you're out for two hours so i'm just right. wondering
1: I think that if you can time your recovery and then have like you know like eat well and then you know digest or whatever and then go out again, but this also goes back to like another point, right? It's like your bone cells have sex hormone receptors, so if your sex hormones are low, mm-hmm. totally. like this adding in that extra run and just being yeah. like, eh, it could be a slippery slope, right? Like, oh, yeah. and if you're not eating enough and you already have low sex hormones, then your bones are not going to be remodeling and it's just going to lead to injury. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And we should also point out that Camille races frequently, particularly frequently over the marathon distance. So it's not like she never runs a long run before she runs a hundred mile event. Like she, she runs many, yeah. many and long those runs. Those are her
1: long runs, aren't they? Like a race is a pretty long run.
0: <laughs> it's a long run. I'm just,
1: um, I'm just And just then kidding. I
0: think that kind of like a real world example that I had recently is I had an athlete reach out to me and the question essentially was, is it a terrible on a scale of one to 10? Is it a terrible idea to run a 50 mile race three weeks before my hundred K. And I said, it's not a good idea. And then I wanted to know more about like the reasoning behind mm-hmm. this 50 mile. Like, was it something they really wanted to do? Were they running it with a friend? Like, what was the reason? No, it was, it was a, it's a training run for the hundred K. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, ideally a 50 mile to a hundred K distance, if I'm using that for a training run for say hundred K or hundred mile, like I don't, I put that, you know, six, eight weeks out from race day, mm-hmm. like at a minimum, um, it turns out there's a 55 K option. And I was like, well, why don't you do 55 K option? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you still could back it up with a slow, easy, longer run the next day. You could go out for like 30 K for example, and trying to explain the difference between like, what well, you know, why not run 50 miles in one go versus 50 miles over two days. And it's, mm-hmm. it's similar reasoning of the, like the whole yeah. you get in after 50 miles, obviously this is like a slightly different argument to to the Camille Heron article in general, but just thinking about dose and load and body response and Mm -hmm. recovery. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I understand both points here, but I think that, you know, we have to think critically about that for different individuals in different situations. And I just don't see where, any of us have athletes that are running 120 to 140 miles a week who would benefit from this strategy specifically. I think you nailed it on
2: the head though. I think like the benefits to this article or how you translate it to something like your athlete had, where they want to run 50 miles or they want to run hundred K as a way to prep for a hundred mile and acknowledging that, you know, breaking it up into two much shorter runs is going to have a lot less muscle damage and kidney damage and cardiac marker damage or inflammation, right? Like a 100 K does like a nine hour effort does yeah. is definitely something we can get behind. Like we've seen that in the studies, like ultra distant stuff does lead to a lot of muscle damage and other things. Mm-hmm. And so if you can yeah, mitigate that necessary. by just exactly, mm-hmm. by just splitting that up over two or three days and mm-hmm. actually getting proper recovery and not getting all of those implement- inflammatory markers is super elevated. Like that would be helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, greed <laughs> That up over two or three days and actually getting proper recovery and not getting all of those implement- inflammatory markers is super elevated. Like that would be helpful.
0: Agreed. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, I guess the question is for you all is, do you think we have enough time to talk about sports psychology or should we just go to our meat and potatoes? We
2: should go to meat and
0: potatoes and I mean, then we'll, so we'll, we, we'll we can do this next week. because yeah, exactly. We'll bring it, next we'll month, bring it on. It, we'll bring yeah. it on. Yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah. worry. We'll, we'll talk more sports psych in a little bit, but before we do, we're going to replug our social media. So if you have not yet followed, if you are on Instagram, if you don't have Instagram, go join Instagram just to follow trail.society. That is our podcast Instagram page. we are be putting out original content there. That's going to link to episodes that you can send your questions into. You can send in those shout outs into that can all be in that one place. So again, we have a trail society Instagram account now, and that is at trail.society. So we'll, uh, we'll see you over there. You can slide into our DMS um, quickly too. There weren't much for results, but this episode is coming out. We're recording pre-Terra Era, and then the next thing that will happen is Black Canyon. So two golden ticket races are coming up. We do not have those results for you yet, but the next time we chat, we will be talking post-Black Canyon, and mm-hmm. hopefully we'll have some fun tales from the trails. Before we dive into meat and potatoes, we have to do one more ad read, and that is for The Feed. We love The Feed. So stinking much. I'm actually kind of upset that I'm not like officially home home again for like another couple of weeks because I really want to put in a feed order, but it can't securely be delivered to my house if I'm not here. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm hurting a little bit for some snacks. If you also want snacks, you can go to www.thefeed.com slash trail society. There every quarter, so you can get a $15 credit every 90 days. You can get a $15 credit. Um to be used towards um any purchase at the feed, any snacks you want, recovery tools, coffee, you name it, waffles, obviously. Um, but even cooler, we're working on some fun merch, merchy items with the feed that are that is like for Trail Society specifically. And we've seen the first, like the first draft, or I guess the final draft that's gonna be printed. And we're so, so excited for mm-hmm. you all to see it soon as well. So mm-hmm. if you again www.thefeed.com slash trail society. Go check it out. We did it.
2: They're really cool. We're so They're awesome. They're <laughs> very,
0: very, very cool. Okay. Meat and potatoes inspired by you, the listeners. Um, we got an email from someone whose name escapes me. I'm really sorry about that, but you had great questions. It's actually going to be the theme of two episodes, not just one episode. The first one being why have coach right? You wrote in and you said, you've spoken a lot about your personal coaches and how important that relationship is. And we've also talked about our athletes and how much we enjoy those meaningful relationships. And so does everyone need a coach? You know, we're going to kind of talk about you know, like finding a coach, the coach process, what that relationship can, should, could look like. And so polling the audience here, which is an audience of three of us, cause it's a podcast. Um, really Hillary, does everyone need a coach?
1: Um, it's an audio the, format,
0: but we can raise our hands, right?
1: I am going to say the business woman in me says yes, but then absolutely <laughs> not. No, not not everyone needs a coach.
0: <laughs> so I guess, I guess that leads to a question and maybe Keely, you can, you'll, you can answer this for us. It's, it's like coaching comes in so many different individual flavors. And so just kind of like, you know, obviously all of us have enough experience and educational background and actually many of the listeners do as well. That they don't technically need a coach, right? You could definitely coach yourself. So, like, why like Keely, why why like why do you personally have a coach?
2: I work with a coach so that I don't have to think about my my running agenda and my future running goals and think about that on a daily level alongside my current training because I tend to go down a rabbit hole with my own training. And I also don't want that stress. I don't want to have to wake up in the morning and be like, oh where am I at in my training program? Okay. What am I going to run today? I don't, I don't need that um, level of control over my running. Uh, and I think that having someone else kind of lead you towards your running and have, have your goals in mind is really, really helpful. Um, I think it's also helpful for people who have a lot of stuff going on because like keeping all of that compartmentalized and having time to actually think through your running in a healthy way is
0: really, really difficult. Hillary, why, why do you personally have a coach?
1: Yeah. I mean, for many of the same reasons that Keely just mentioned, I mean, I, I know what to do, right. Like I, but are you
0: going to do it is the question. Exactly.
1: I need someone else to kind of have that authority. So I just don't have to think about it. And then, um, you know, I can just trust that, you know, trust that process, trust my coach and know that, you know, he has my best interests. Um, and also I think there's just knowing that someone else has that perspective, because if I'm, if like, you're so close in it I feel like you obviously you lose perspective I lose perspective so I think that's the main thing that I have and yeah. yeah I don't normally like being told what to do but Adam can tell me what to do and I really like it
0: yeah 100% I if I didn't have a coach I would run two hours easy every day <laughs> I would never <laughs> yeah, take I wouldn't off. do
1: workouts either I would just I be literally I'd be running six hours every day in the mountains like you'd never see me
0: <laughs> yeah no Hillary would be would be gone um <laughs> Yeah. I'd run two hours easy every day. I'd never do workouts and I would never take a day off, both of which are things that I need. Yep. Um, and so I rely on someone else to tell me do, to do those things. I can tell other people to do those things, but it's nice to have someone tell me to do those things and also be that person to like bounce ideas off of. But I like what both of you said. It's like, you don't have to think about it anymore. And when I talk to athletes, when I talk to new athletes, that is something that comes up. It's this idea of like, we can give them back mental bandwidth. Right. It's like, you don't have to figure out what information is right for you. Like, how do you like, what am I going to do tomorrow or the next day? Or if I miss this day, how am I going to fix it later? Et cetera. Like, I think that that mental, that mental buyback is what I call it is so, so critical, but like, why else? You know, I think when you like, we're all doing athlete consults pretty regularly taking on new athletes have a little bit of roster turnover obviously also very full rosters i think as well um but these trends emerge right like why individuals are approaching you or approaching us for coaching and i'm wondering if there's any other specific benefits or specific reasons you you like hear from athletes that are coming in for potential coaching
1: i mean like trying something for the first time or trying something new right mm-hmm. um trying a like I mean, this is something that I've got because my first, like how I started running, um, I was in grad school and I was, most of my miles were in the city and like this idea of like, can I be a trail runner, but living in a city, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do you do that? Um, so, uh, yeah, like that, or, you know, just trying a new distance, a new, a new type of, of race. Um, yeah, something new, I think in general.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of athletes reach out because they have these new race goals that seem pretty daunting, and they need the accountability and they also need the structure and the advice because they don't have any background in training. And so they're like, I don't know how to get ready for this. This is extremely mm-hmm. different than what I'm used to. Um, but another reason I've been getting a lot of outreach lately is around previous injuries, mm-hmm. current injuries, and fueling and that kind of messy relationship of you know, maybe you've coached yourself for a couple of years and you find yourself just continually becoming injured, battling with symptoms of red S, all of these things. And finally, maybe you've come to a place where you're like, actually, I really need a coach to help me through this and to be able to mitigate my training loads so that I'm not digging myself in a hole. um, and I'm not getting overuse injuries from, from running on a really, really broken and really tired body. And so I think a lot of other people seek coaches when they've kind of reached that limit and they really want to change um, or at least try to change uh, and you know, work towards a different goal instead of just beating themselves down again and again and again.
0: Totally. And I think one of those trends that's interesting and this is kind of the, I feel like I've been, I think I've said this not on this podcast, but in an interview before of like how, you know how like dogs and like, their people kind of look start to look alike. Right. <laughs> or like, you know, I, I think that, I think that athletes are kind of the same way. Like, I think you start to like, at, particularly like we are all in a position in our coaching and in our, like in our platforms now where it's like, people know who we are. They know what we stand for. They know our personal history. Like we're public people. Um And so I definitely see trends in like athlete consults of like, oh, I, I align with your thinking. I gravitate towards you because I've had this similar experience or I've been through this thing. And I'm wondering if either one of you are seeing that as well. Of Like people, people reaching out to you specifically because it's like, oh, like you understand what I'm going through on like a very personal level.
1: Yeah. I mean, like Keely said too, I mean, the injury, like recovery, obviously I have a lot of personal, um, experience. No one's falling
0: off a cliff though. Right. Like they're not,
1: yeah, no, that would be a little bit too I don't, on the nose I don't know if I'd coach that person. Yeah. I'm yeah. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I would at first send them my book and then be like, talk to me after read this. Um, but, uh, no, I mean that for sure, obviously something that you have personal experience with, but yeah, I mean, I, like I have a lot of athletes that I coach who want to get into more technical mountainous running. And I got, you know, my start in sky running and they you know on that, on that type of train. Right. So having that knowledge base and like, this is, you know, is this normal, um, or how to, you know, build up vertical gain in a week, like leading Mm -hmm. up to this race, certainly. Um, but I, I have actually had this and, had then had to kind of we've had to part ways like so it kind of break mm-hmm. up the coaching relationship because which
0: happens which is normal I it's totally
1: so. normal right it's just it's, it's like any relationship right if you're not getting what you need from either side either the athlete or the coach but if they were trying to like you know we're we are both public all, all of us are public facing and so following mm-hmm. me on Strava and then wanting me to coach them in hopes that my training would like their training would look like my training and mm-hmm. I think that is a mistake because just yeah, because that's actually a really good point yeah and it's like and I've had you know other people it's like because I train I mean fairly high volume with in terms of hours and so it like people can reach out expecting that and I'm just like okay wait just a minute like that's This, this is still like, you know, I've worked up to this point. This is year, like even what we were talking about with, with Camille, right? Like in that article, we still don't know what she does on a daily basis. Like, yes, this is her running history, right? We're just seeing a snapshot. So that can be tempting to search for a coach, uh, to basically be the training that you want yours to look like or, but yeah, but I think it is normal also to search for a coach who's into the same kinds of things that you are.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I understand. So you want, yeah, you want a sense of community, belonging, accountability, knowledge, experiences. And those are all really important things that I think we see athletes look for and receive in that coach-athlete relationship. Um, but I guess kind of the next piece of that puzzle is like going to those consults in general. Like I think shopping around for a coach is like really kind of funny and and weird because you're, you're shopping for a relationship. Like if you didn't want a relationship out of it, you could like go buy a cookie cutter plan off the internet and it would save you a lot of money. Um, and so, you know, like how do you, we've all done a lot of consults, I think we've all done some consults when finding a coach as well, or at least talking, talking to some different people. And I'm wondering, you know, like if someone is a, if someone wants a coach and they want to go through that process of finding the right person for them, you know, what, what does that even look like? Like, you know, like how, like how many people should they talk to? Like what, what should they be asking or looking for in that consult to see if they're the right fit? No wrong answers. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I mean, this has been like Keeley's life, right? At the moment, I'll do a quick, <laughs> I'll do a quick little thing. But then I think Keeley has had like a lot of uh, experience. Like it's very timely, um, but Filed I mean, I fire. think- yeah. Like, I don't think it's necessarily like you, it's like a formula, right? The, the the math side of me would love that. Like talk with X number of whatever, and then you're yeah. bound to get your right coach, but it could be the first person that you talk to. Mm-hmm. Honestly, like, I think it's, it's like any relationship, like going off a of gut feeling coaching first and foremost, I think is based on communication. And mm-hmm. if you can find someone that you can communicate well, have those rough conversations. And you I think you get that sense from someone pretty like, pretty early on. Um, and what a sense that you can develop a relationship where you can learn to trust one another? I think that trumps all. So if you you can have that conversation on the first one, you could have it on the 10th. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I call it finding someone who speaks your language, finding totally. someone who you're not intimidated to have conversations with, to ask questions of, because it's not like, it's not. I don't know. I tell people I'm not a good dictator. I'm not. I'm not a good dictator. Like I want people to be an active part of that relationship and have mm-hmm. questions. Like questions are good. That means that you're engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like you got to find that person that you jive with. Keely, you, you are personally fielding a lot of intake forms for free trail experts and then helping them find find the right coach amongst the free trail expert staff. I'm kind of wondering, you know, like what should people be asking their coach? What should they be looking for in these like kind of consult processes?
2: <clears throat> yeah. So I think right off the bat, you want to get a better understanding of how many athletes you're coaching, your coaches coaching, because I totally. think if you're, if you're looking for something that's a little low touch, you can probably work with a coach that that coaches a, a good amount of athletes. But if you really want that coaching relationship to be a pretty good relationship, where you get to talk to your coach regularly, and you feel like your coach is really putting a lot of time into your training program by investigating the races you're going to do investigating the terrain you live by like then you really need to take that into consideration because there's just there's just so much time in the day and if somebody's coaching 30 40 50 60 athletes there's 100 plus athletes time like a day to do those things um yeah and i'd good. say right uh, the, the the other thing would be the coaches You know, experience not only racing, but experience coaching and being well versed in certain race distances. Mm -hmm. Like I commonly turn down athletes who want to train for 100 plus mile distance races because I have no experience in that realm. I've never researched that realm, and I have never done any sort of you know continuing education in that realm. And so I don't feel comfortable coaching those Mm -hmm. athletes. So I think looking for a coach who, who has the skill set in the kind of racing or running or training that you want to do is really important. And then also finding a coach that's willing to admit if they don't or admit that like, Hey, actually I've, I'm not that great at bringing back an athlete from injury because I'm not a PT or I'm not a doctor. And, and being able to admit that to you and, and welcoming the input from other specialties when they acknowledge that they're not a specialist in that space is really important. Like I love hearing a coach say that they can't help you in a space because they're not an expert in it more than anything else, because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a physical therapist. And so there's just things that are not inside my realm of coaching that I will not help you with because it, it would be a disservice.
0: Ooh, yeah, I that's a favorite so, topic. That's of mine. so <laughs> important. So I think we're, we're gonna jump to that. And then I've got yeah. kind of a side question that's kind of sassy more than anything. Um, but Okay, so that's kind of the idea of like, can your coach be your everything, right? It's this idea of like, what do you, what are like, what needs do you have and how are those needs met? And it's like, well, your coach can have a lot of certs. Certs don't mean everything, right? Like they, they can be important. They can be continuing ed. They can be part of their learning experience, but like you don't have to have a cert to coach, nor does your, nor does your coach have to have a cert to be a good coach. That being said, like continuing education, re- recognizing that you don't know everything, I think is a, should be a sought after attribute of a coach, like a coach who doesn't like, who, who understands they don't know everything. And so, right. Like you've got that, that, you know, you're not a dietitian, you're not a clinical psychologist, you're not a physical therapist. Maybe you are, maybe. And if you are like good on you, cause you've got an extra skill that many of us don't have, you're not a physician, et cetera. And so it's like, athletes can expect a lot from you, but I think it's important for to expect athletes to have a team. And that's a question I ask every single new athlete I take is who's your team. I'm one person of that team. So what, like, how do you handle that Hillary as a coach? And and how do you defer to that individual's team of people that they need to be surrounding themselves with?
1: Right. And this is something that's, I think, really important because it can be tempting to like want to be the athlete's everything. Right. And this is something that, you know, I've learned from my coach too. It's like, you know, he, it's his job to, to be responsible for my training. And it's, you know, my job to do that and communicate to him how it's going, honestly. Um, but it's not his job to be my sports psychologist. It's not his job. You know, it's my job to say, okay, like I'm struggling with A, B, and C. I'm going to talk about it with my sports psychologist. Or, you know, if I'm having problems with like nutrition, then, you know, seeing a nutritionist that's, that's, you know, my coach might have knowledge about nutrition for race day, Um, You know, I certainly do. I mentioned that I have, you know, a lot of personal history coming back from injury. Does that make me a qualified PT? Absolutely not. So, or, you know, someone to talk about, are you eating enough during your injury recovery? Absolutely not. But I think it is your job as a coach to be able to encourage, or if you have touch points of people in the industry and in the community, wherever your athlete lives, getting them in contact with the right people. I think that's my—that's what I see my job as a coach being, providing some sort of guidance. But again, I'm not a strength coach. I might have mm-hmm. some personal knowledge with it, but that doesn't make me an expert in that field. And so anytime I'm dealing with an athlete coming back from injury, I'm always saying, okay, I'm gonna defer to your PT. Like if you want me and your PT to be in contact, Awesome, more than willing to do that. That's so
0: important because I think, like, I have had many conversations with athletes, dietitians, with Mm -hmm. athletes. I've had I've Mm -hmm. had conversations with athletes, mental health counselors. I've had conversations with athletes, um, strength and conditioning coaches, their PTs, et cetera. Like, I have made time in my day to connect with those people if the athlete wants me to, or if we think, or if I encourage the athlete to connect with that, that person, if they're having a hard, really hard time with something, um, once again, that is up to the, the athlete, right? How much communication in between providers they want to have, but it is, and which is something that's unique to trial experts is that you can have that very like in-house mm-hmm. communication. Um, if you're using people within that, within that group from coaching, mental health, nutrition, dietitian stuff. But I think that, you know, you can't, you could do that within your own team as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on a text thread right now with one of my athletes in their PT, you know, <laughs> and he screenshot his training peaks for the two weeks. And, and, you know, like we're going to try to get on, get on a call together so that we can mesh the strength that he is doing with this PT with the running and cycling that he's doing to recover from kind of like a, 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 a nagging, a nagging injury. But I think that it's so, so important to recognize that you can't be everything. It's, it's not, you don't lose value by saying you don't yeah. know something or that like you'd, you'd be better, the athlete would be better served by mm-hmm. seeing
1: someone else. So
2: yeah, yeah. you're doing them it's a disservice if you, if you try to help totally. them in an area that you're not well equipped in.
1: Right. Yeah. It's like being too much yeah. of a control freak. It's like also learning to trust the people that are the experts, right? They might not be. And trust more, your athletes too. Right. right? And like mm-hmm. people on the ground, right? Like a lot of, I'm lucky enough if I have like people here in Boulder and I can recommend them to people that I know personally or that I've worked with, mm-hmm. but you know that doesn't. That's not the case for everything. So it's also like trusting, <laughs> like your athlete that they are. They've chosen you as a coach. They trust you in communication. They're going to be able to choose other people if they choose or need to expand their team.
0: Yeah. Okay. Here's my sassy question: <laughs> Does being a professional runner qualify you to be a coach? As three I professional think, runners who all coach, does, know, does being not. a
1: professional runner
0: absolutely I put, that, I put
1: that question in there, and I think Corinne, maybe you already had it in there. I think I put it in there <laughs> twice for emphasis because I think. I think no. Like, that's like the next no. thing you see. It's really funny. Like, I mean, I got into coaching. I was a coach well, like in tennis before I was a running coach. I'm also at, like, you know, we all have degrees in science. I think it's like, you know, in, in us to maybe like be coaches, but like, man, just because you like, you know, win a race and you see the next thing I'm taking on athletes. It's like Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's one of those yeah. things where it's like, not all, not all professional runners are good coaches. Not all coaches are great runners. Like it's exactly. one of those things where it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. um, I, for the longest time did not like identifying as a coach, which was just like mm-hmm. a weird statement to say, like I got in, I started what well, coach junior skiers and runners for a long, mm-hmm. long, long time, but started coaching, um, professional, like professionally, like you know, full-time job status during grad school to because I was living in Vancouver and Vancouver's expensive and I was very poor. Um, and I was like, I need extra cash. Um, but it was one of those things that then I kind of became a professional runner, like along, along the way there. And I, for the longest time did not like saying I was a coach, like Stevens, Stevens' friends would ask me what I did for work. And I'd be like, um, I do a lot of, odd things, I guess. Like I would like skirt the question because I didn't want people to think that, Oh, I'm coaching to like, to allow me to be pro- professional athlete, et cetera. Like that it is a profession that you can take really seriously. And I think that there was a long time where I was planning my escape from coaching, like, because I <laughs> akin to planning my escape from professional running in which I was like, well, this can't last forever. Therefore I have to have a backup career. I need to go back to school. I need to do X, Y, or Z. I was really uncomfortable with the idea of being a coach for potentially like the long haul. Um, because in my mind, like it was still conflated with this idea that it was attached to my running career and recognizing Mm -hmm. that those things are not, they can be separate. And so being a professional runner does not make you a good coach. There are, there are professional runners who are very good coaches though. Mm -hmm. uh, but that is not a qualification I would put up very high on my list Mm -hmm. of things in looking for a coach.
2: No, yeah. I mean, that my first experience with this was my high school basketball coach. Uh, my first years of high school was with the best coach of my life. And he, when he played, was a a good good basketball player, but nothing great at all. But he knew the game so well. He knew how to coach women really well, like perfect coach, but you know, not a stellar athlete. And like that doesn't take away from being a coach at all. Most of the time, it's really just how you learn how to coach and how you can apply all of the things you learn. And not necessarily if you're good at the sport at all.
0: Well, yeah. so you have to love you have to love the sport, right? And love yeah. the science, love the the ins and outs of the game, or whatever. Have they time like, for your
2: athletes. Yeah, mm-hmm. my
0: little brother, uh, the middle child in our family, is an exceptionally good coach, and has been since he was like a high schooler, like coaching little kids um, mm-hmm. basketball and stuff. And he like really loved the sport. Loved football. Loved basketball. Loved baseball. Loved it. Was not like inherent. Like not naturally gifted to be, you know, an exceptional basketball player. Um, he's, I think like five, five, nine, um, five, eight, but like <laughs> loves basketball, but it was like, he loved the game and he like, and he loved being part of it. And I think that was like, that makes him a really good coach, um, and a good listener and a good teammate. And so it's like, there are different things that are really important besides someone's running credentials. Mm-hmm. That being said, you know, like if you're gonna do a 200 mile race, it's probably okay to have, like, have someone who has experience trying to run plus 100 plus mile distances. That being said, like, I started coaching 200 plus mile athletes before I did the Tahoe Rim Trail, and like had to learn with them really quickly, and had to, you know, do the things like go out to crew and go out to to volunteer at these 200 mile races so I could learn about them because mm-hmm. it was a whole new world. And so it's like there's some things where you want experience in the field, but you don't have to be the very best in the field to be really, really solid at helping you get to the finish line.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: What else? What else do you think is is super important about, about coaching? I think the other, my, I guess, okay. My last, my last big thing I think is you really need to trust your coach. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is that I've watched athletes not tell their coach the whole story mm-hmm. because they're worried that they're worried the coach is going to take away miles from them or change their training plan or not let them do X or Z or Y workout. And I think it's like, it's really important to recognize that like the best thing for you as an athlete to get the most of your coach-athlete relationship is to like communicate well and really trust that this person has your best interest in mind.
1: Totally. I mean, that can take time, time. right? Like, I mean, yeah, I I remember that kind of, (laughs) and I'm laughing saying this and I think Corinne, um, you maybe have personal experience with this. I can be quite skeptical.
0: No, never. (laughs) Hilly goat.
1: Oh, I mean, Keely has it too from, from me and just being around me in general, but, um, no, but like specifically when, when things really matter to me, um, I can be very like protective and like, I don't really want to share that, um, with someone unless I really trust them. And it took me a while, like Adam and I had a personal relationship, like he was just a good friend of mine, Mm -hmm. um, for several years before he started coaching me. And I remember this specific moment where he came to me and he was like, Hillary, let me coach you. This is literally when I was still on freaking scooter after my accident. And he's like, let me coach you. He's like, I know like we, there's not much we can do right now, but he's like, I know that we can get you back to where you want to be. And he's like, let me be a part of your team, something like this. And it was just like, so Mm -hmm. caring. And just at that moment, I was like, Holy moly, like I can actually, I can trust this person. Um, and like letting that kind of pressure off of myself, right? That I was let your guard down. Yeah. And I think that that's so important. So it takes a while, but I think you can get that gut feeling. Um, pretty, pretty quickly on, even if that trust takes a while to develop. And I think that like, that's for me, one of the most important things, because coaching is such a personal relationship, like every runner, like they're coming to you to get a coach, because it means a lot to them. They're pretty serious about it. Like you're investing
0: money in it, right? right. That's a big piece of it. You're investing money in it. And there's no, there's no right coaching price. The right coaching price is the thing that fits in your budget. <laughs> um, and if for some reason you have a really, really small budget, like talk to that person like they might have a sliding scale, et cetera like right. yeah. it's a business, but at the end of the day, like that is something like that is the reality right is mm-hmm. that coaching yeah. coaching costs costs money so totally investing I' investing a lot in it
2: I think there's one thing that if you are thinking about getting a coach um that you should ask yourself, and that is uh if you if you think you're coachable. I have a lot of consult calls with people who started off with a, a phrase around being uncoachable and being proud of their ability to be uncoachable and I'm uncoachable. And and to me as a coach, that means that you're you're not quite ready for a coach. You're not quite ready to be helped in your journey to to run or to fuel or to train or to do whatever it is that you you haven't been doing well. Um and so you know, if you are looking for a coach, but you still find yourself resisting being coached. Um, it might just be, you know, you're, you're, you need a little bit more time with yourself to figure out like right. why you're resisting that so much.
0: Um, yeah. Why, why can't you trust this person to have your best interest in mind? Why can't you, like, yeah. I think that that's because once again, like we don't well, like coachability doesn't mean that you have to listen to everything your coach says, right? right? Like mm-hmm. you can listen to your body, you can mm-hmm. ask questions, et cetera. But if, if you are resistant to, because I, I tell this staff, athletes all the time, which I think piggybacks off of this perfectly and piggybacks is a funny word. Um, anyway, but the, uh. The big thing being like the, the program that you believe in, like the coach and the program you believe in, even if it's like only 80% right for you Mm -hmm. will work way, way better Mm -hmm. than the Mm -hmm. program that is a hundred percent right for you that you don't believe in at all. Mm -hmm. And so like that coachability piece is like, you've got to figure out what's going on and why you're resistant, why you're resistant to taking on help or listening to someone or having someone in your corner, because like you are all capable of like listening to someone else and having mm-hmm. someone be part of your team. And so it's like, that's a personal, like you gotta journal that one out, I think.
1: That's sports psychology in a nutshell. Like totally. that, it's yeah. it's so good. And also like, I mean, I just said it too, like I'm skeptical. So how do you know if you're coachable? Okay, I know that I'm I'm skeptical, but if I I just need someone to talk it out with me and then I'll be, okay, like, that's a good point. I see this. And then being mm-hmm. able to change your mind and accept someone else's advice to be able to change. I think yeah. that's the definition of how you right. can see if you're coachable or not. Exactly.
2: But if you're entering a relationship saying something right. along the lines of, oh, you know, I run 120 miles a week and I'm not willing to change and I'm I'm not typically very coachable, then to and what me, do you like, want out of
0: ready yeah. for a coach?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Or you have to be ready to like potentially make changes or tweaks mm-hmm. or do something different because whatever you're doing might not be working. I think it's the idea there you're seeking help. So you gotta, you gotta be ready to receive it. Okay. We're going to wrap this one up because everyone's (laughs) got places to be except for me. I just have more work to do per usual on a Monday. Um, society slam. We have to give a special shout out. This is obviously audio, but there's also video. (laughs) I know that you have your mug on your, on your, desk right now. Hold it up.
1: Oh mine's downstairs. Yay. Oh. Okay. What color is yours, it. Corinne?
0: Mine's the like the licheny green color.
1: Yeah, I think that's what mine is too. I love yeah. it.
0: So big shout out to to Kelly Newland over at Rad, um, Real Athlete Diets. She runs this do epic shit like thing every year where she gives out kind of like 10 awards to the community to community members that have been nominated by other like, people from the community over the course of the year. We were very honored to be part of that list this year. And so Kim Mitchell um abby hall's mom made us uh made makes mugs as awards for it every year and Mm -hmm. we all received our mugs in the past like week and they're beautiful and i've had a bunch of coffee out of mine And (laughs) thank you thank you kelly and rad for running that every year it means a whole heck of a lot so side slam before we let you all go keely you ready keely hillary one of you slamming really
1: cool um for starting the new trail trail.society, um, on Instagram, go give us a follow. Um, got a lot of cool DMs. So, um, yeah, that can be your preferred way to mess, to slide into our DMs if you, if you want. Um, so got some really cool DMs over the past week or so. Um, and I know we are, you know, a North American pod based out of here, but we do have a lot of listeners across the globe, which is really cool. Um, Corinne and I found out about that in, in South Africa when we were both over there. Um, but one that we wanted to highlight um, in Australia. Um, so I am going to butcher this name. So Corinne, you have to help me. Etchna Murray. Do you think I said that right? Ashana? No Yeah. Okay. She is the happiest sorry. runner
0: in the whole world, though. Yes. I was following this via Instagram <laughs> and just the happiest little marathoner I've ever seen.
1: So maybe she won't be mad if I butcher her name. So Ichana Murray Bartlett. Um, she just ran 150 marathons in 150 days. Um, that's insane. <laughs> uh so she took the world record. Um, and she was also raising money by a lot, I think. Yeah. Like I don't 20, even know what it was. Yeah. 20,
0: I think it was 122 okay it's been reset a lot in the past like 18 yeah. months
2: yeah and she also did it like not in a traditional setting mm-hmm. like from one location she did it kind of in like a more of a point to points kind of uh way and she ran she ran across australia <laughs> yeah which is like so cool and i saw i remember one of her posts early on because i was i was following this as well uh she posted like a collab with the australian uh, center for like wild habitat or something basically showcasing like how to have the knowledge to know how to respond to all these different bites of like insects and animals and I'll show you because there's a lot of dangerous things there yeah um and so like she just she had a lot of different things she was kind of juggling while she was doing this run it was really really fun to watch her and yeah she was always so excited um
1: (laughs) joy really cool
0: congrats to her yeah, yeah. Right, raised 120K, like very, very cool um, mm-hmm. run in general. But I guess, okay, so the big the big shout out I wanted to give, which is just brought, and I'm sure a bunch of you got this feedback as well, is that you all really loved our interview with Lauren Fleshman and it, it meant a lot to a lot of you. It um, allowed many of you to have conversations with your young athletes in your house, with each other, with therapists. Um, there were bits and pieces of that conversation that really like hit home with a lot of people about, you know, advocating for yourself, about um, your own body and how you feel about your body, um, about coachability and compliance, about all these little pieces. Um, And I think it was, it was really, really cool to, to have such an outpouring of, of just like just hearing from all of you how much the interview meant. So we wanted to give a big shout out Thank you, Lauren, for being on. And thank you to everyone who listened to that episode. It meant a lot. And I'm sure it did really well in the downloads. So uh, yeah. big thumbs up to the community there.
2: <laughs> yeah. And thanks to everyone who's followed the podcast so far. We're almost at a thousand followers in less than a week. So thank you to everybody.
0: Okay. okay that so that everyone can get to their next thing because that's how this world works um thank you all for listening um subscribe like follow share all the things um i feel like we're probably on youtube right now so i'll like point down the subscribe <laughs> button um but uh until next time we'll see you on the trails